0: Hi, I'm Trip. I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy.
1: And I'm Ross. I'm slowly, film by film, taking Trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided until now.
0: Welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining studio comedies from around the turn of the century.
1: Trip, our exit today has us trying to bring down the Nixon White House and uncover the truth about Watergate. This week, we are talking about the film Dick, written by Andrew Fleming and Cheryl Longan and directed by Fleming. The film centers around 15-year-olds Betsy and Arlene. Arlene happens to live in the Watergate Hotel, and one night, the two of them stumble upon the Watergate break-in occurring while going out to mail a letter. The next day, while on a field trip to the White House, they are recognized by none other than G. Gordon Liddy, whom the pair bumped into the night before. While being interrogated by H.R. Haldeman, Arlene calls over Checkers, the Nixon family dog, and the two girls immediately start bonding with him. This leads to Richard Nixon himself coming in, and in an attempt to keep these girls in his good graces, based upon their possible knowledge, offers them the job of official White House dog walkers. Betsy and Arlene then become more entangled with the events of the White House, including peace talks with Russia and the end of the war in Vietnam, all with the help of some let's say, special cookies called Hello Dollies. However, both start to discover that their new pal Dick may not be as good of a guy as he seems to be. As the Watergate scandal starts blowing up, Betsy and Arlene discover that Nixon may be a lot more intimately involved, and more importantly, he may not also really love checkers. This leads to Betsy and Arlene helping those muckraking journalists, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, get information about the White House's involvement in the Watergate break-in, thereby becoming the infamous informant, Deep Throat. In the end, Nixon resigns the presidency as he is flying away. Betsy and Arlene give him a signed send-off. So Tripp, you're a Watergate scholar. Did this movie please your history-loving heart, or did it make you want to resign from this podcast in protest? (laughs)
0: Yeah. So last week I mentioned um, Teenage Trip was really into uh, Watergate. I had to read all the President's Men in high school. I had seen Oliver Stone's Nixon and like, I got deep into this world. It just fascinated me. So. There is something, this movie is something of a miracle, I think, because I don't know how this movie gets made. I don't know why this movie gets made, but to me in 1999, it seemed like it was made in some sort of cryogenic bubble for Trip Burton. We are going to make a wacky comedy that I sat in the audience with other teenagers and was laughing hysterically at jokes that no one else got. Because if you don't know who the white house plumbers are, you're not going to get all of these jokes. And so it's a weird little movie, but I love this movie, Ross. I find this movie so delightful and so wonderful. And coming back to it 20 some years later, I think it's even smarter than I remembered it being. So, does it hold up to you, non-Watergate expert, Ross?
1: <laughs> so I, I also, you know, my, I am a history buff myself, and I do mm-hmm. love this specific time in history. Um, I actually didn't see this movie until this year for the first time, and I re-watched it again for this podcast. The way I would describe this movie, and I, I want to be clear, this is not a pejorative way I'm using this, it is very silly. It's mm-hmm. very silly. And with that... Comes so much, I think. You know, the first time I watched it, I would say I was a bit disappointed. And I think it's because it got built up so much to me because this has become such a cult movie. People have really, it didn't do well at the box office. No. And it's been a movie that, especially as its stars mm-hmm. became much bigger, even. It has been a movie that people kind of cite and, and bring back to. So,
0: so you came to this movie in my shoes where yeah. you hadn't seen it for 20-some years, and all of your friends, like me, keep telling you this movie is brilliant, and this movie is hysterical, and now you finally watch it, and it's like, eh. Yes. Okay.
1: I will say, though, rewatch. The rules are
0: flipped this week, everybody. Exactly. There we go. Let but me explain I will say- to you.
1: <laughs> but I will say this. So I rewatched it again yesterday because I was like, you know what? I, I've seen it now the first mm-hmm. time. And I will say the second viewing I I was more enjoying it and I think it's because I knew kind of what I was expecting more mm-hmm. and I caught more of the silliness but I also would say I think what this movie does extremely well is have a real care and love for its two female protagonists in that they are teenage girls there's mm-hmm. so many small things about their friendship and how they interact, that is so adorable and funny and sweet. And and I think the scene that typifies that to me, uh, again, so that we could avoid any sort of explicit rating or some (laughs) awkward conversations that people will have to have with children on here, the scene where Arlene doesn't understand why the movie that Betsy's brother was kicked out of, why was it called what it was called? Now, you could just have Kirsten Dunst just tell her. But in a sweet and such an adorable teenage girl moment, she still feels compelled, even though they are the only two people in the room, to whisper it to her. She has to whisper to her to explain yes.
0: what that means. And we just hear enough of the whispering to get what she's saying, but we don't hear all of it. And it is it is such a perfect, a perfect moment right and, there.
1: And that's the encapsulation of that of the two of their performances and interactions in this movie. It is so well done about how the two of them are. And by the way, the two of them are some of our finest actresses. Yeah. And it,
0: it plays into what I keep saying too, of like, by getting really great actors in these central roles, I feel you do really get that. Um, More than maybe some of the other high school movies we've watched where they've cast more personalities or looks versus I'm going to actually cast a really great actress in this role. This movie does not work if it is not Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams giving real honest performances throughout this whole movie
1: and they're young too. I mean Kirsten Dunst when this movie comes out is 17. Michelle Williams is 19. So they are a, Now again, they're playing 15. They're playing a little yeah. younger.
0: And they've both been around for half a decade at least like
1: We yeah. talked about Kirsten Dunst last week, right? Drop yes. dead gorgeous. She's right. she's already, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff Michelle Williams right now. Dawson's Creek is just hitting, right? It premiered mm-hmm. the year before. So Michelle Williams, who had been around, she's in. But I'm a Cheerleader this year too, which is a small part, but great movie. Um, you know, but she had also been doing that. But she's becoming a bigger name because of Dawson's Creek. You know, now becoming this big teenage phenomenon, and they really do sell this movie based off the idea of Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Williams, young, up and coming, you know, yes. actresses. This is it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's just a joy to watch. And I think also, you talk about the two of them, you also have to talk about Dan Hedaya playing, playing Nixon. Again, this movie peppers comedians throughout the movie in really small bit roles. But I think also casting a really great character actor like Dan Hedaya, who's going to treat this... Like a comedy, but also as his chance to play Richard Nixon, right? A meaty role that some great actors have dived into in the 90s. It also elevates that a little bit of getting him in there and creating a three dimensional Richard Nixon, you know, even if he's something of a cartoon.
1: He, I absolutely, as, as important as it is to get those two female characters correct. It's just as important that they needed the right person for Nixon. And you are 110% correct on Hidea. He is so good in this movie.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's
1: he's doing kind of enough of like an impression of Nixon that it's like, yeah, okay, it's good. But they do kind of capture this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. wack he's able to do the wackiness. And some of it does come from he is an unbelievable character actor. He is probably really well known to people for his couple appearances on Cheers, right? Mm-hmm. That where he popped up as, you know, the uh Carla's know...
0: Carla's husband.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um it, who was also kind of a schemer and trying to kind of like pull stuff over on things. He's in Blood Simple. He's in Clueless, right? He shares dad. And uh, you know, the year before, he is also doing he's the uh Will Ferrell's father it, speaking of will ferrell in this movie right in a night mm-hmm. at the roxbury which trip you're lucky we didn't start this podcast i think in 1998 <laughs> because i could guarantee you you would have hated that movie um oh. <laughs> but you know he is such a and he can do comedy and he can do serious drama this same year he's in the hurricane
0: yeah <laughs> which is also i feel this. like it was that double the double whammy of having done Clueless, and the same year as the usual suspects. That I feel like I I noticed him, um, in there.
1: He's um, so like you know doing
0: comedy and drama back and forth together. It was so funny. We should also mention he is also in Oliver Stone's Nixon. He has a very small part in that. So
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. and this what helps with this movie, I think, to some extent is you know obviously you know it's written by Andrew Fleming and Cheryl Longin, Cheryl Longin, who unfortunately doesn't really have much like writing credits. She really mm-hmm. does. Um, a movie called Prague Duet. I have no idea what that movie is, but it came out the year before. And she co-writes this with Andrew Fleming. Andrew Fleming is coming off of directing The Craft, which is another high school, female-centric, you know, a movie I actually also caught up for the first time this year with, and is very fun. So he has an ability to clearly do these kind of teenage, female-driven movies really well.
0: To quote another podcast, this kind of feels like his blank check, doesn't it? Like the craft becomes like a huge cultural phenomenon and it's like, now I want to make this movie for five people. And they're like, sure, go ahead and do that. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah,
1: it is one of these things where, um, and I saw some reviews kind of mentioned it. This is also a movie that uh, this is where your Watergate love is going to shine, but I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about this. This is a movie peppered with immensely talented character actors who are being put to be all of these Watergate figures all throughout. And Mm -hmm. they are so talented and adept because they are kind of like it's not fully SNL level sketch comedy, but it is kind of like,
0: and it's a lot of sketch it? comedy actors, right? You pull a lot of people from Saturday Night Live, from Kids in the Hall. It's a lot of that sort of community that pops up in here throughout the movie, and then they are they're very funny in these, and just cast like just perfectly, like they find what is. The dominant trait of this figure, and let's go for that. Yes. Um, I mean, has Jim Brewer ever been better than he is in this movie, like as John Dean? And it's such perfect casting. Just and, you annoyed know,
1: to be there, and exactly, like, he like gets so dejected <laughs> like, when it's like he's told like you're just as bad as he is, and that he's just like, oh my god. Um,
0: but, so and, now- and that's what I love about this movie too. It so cleverly manages to get the girls to cause every little step of Watergate. And it very carefully and smartly builds all of that so that you see kind of what is going on, right? The moment the girls say that to John Dean, if you know Watergate, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that quote is, right? I know exactly what's going to happen now. And then it pays off in like a half an hour and they call back to it, right? But they really figured out How do we get the girls involved in each step of this scandal?
1: So interesting that you also brought up John Dean. Uh, So in a Washington Post article uh, from, I believe it was, uh, no, from around the time, it was called Generation X's Tricky Dick talking about this movie. Supposedly, they sent the script to former Post executive editor Ben Bradley to see if he would play himself in the movie. Ben Bradley politely declined. The other person the article... GD, that G.D.
0: Spradlin's so good in that scene as Ben Bradley. So funny. <laughs> I mean, Another great. great character actor just treating it like he's doing Shakespeare, and it's perfect.
1: Uh, but supposedly, the other, per- one of the other people they sent it to, to play themselves, was John Dean. And John mm-hmm. Dean supposedly sent the script back with a note that just said, good luck. <laughs> um, that so sounds about right. So the idea of that possibly this movie could have had John Dean playing himself in those things is really uh fascinating it, it, uh, ben, it would ben have fit
0: into the huge meta bit of this film so so oh
1: absolutely I'm glad
0: that it I'm glad that it didn't happen but yeah oh yeah because
1: we get we get great performances but it yeah. is a fascinating idea that they they had this idea of maybe trying to pepper the original people kind of in this and i think they also towards the end they really do kind of even through all the zaniness and the silliness in this movie they do kind of then capture that like you know look nixon's doing this to an end right mm-hmm. like this is all like eventually like his kind of true nature kind of shows through eventually to these kids as you know it goes but it's it is it is
0: not it is not a nixon redemption story in the least which you know when oliver stone's nixon came out people were very divided on that movie like is he being too kind to nixon is he being too harsh to nixon you know and i think that's a thread kind of through the 90s right nixon passes away in '94. There's a whole bunch of questions of, you know, do we need to honor the accomplishments that he made? Do we need to focus on the way that he denigrated the presidency? And this movie falls, falls fairly in line with Nixon, not good guy. No. And, yes.
1: you know, which kind of surprised me rewatching it, that they kept like the anti-Semitism part of it in there, yeah, which I was exactly. like, whoa, I forgot that. Like, and I watched this even like a couple of months earlier and I'd forgotten yeah. that they kept that
0: mm-hmm. part in there. But, yeah. you
1: know, it's they are kind and of even
0: even Nixon's greatest, right, his greatest accomplishment, right, is opening up China and and. Strengthening ties with Russia, right? That's what, like, anybody who's going to point to Nixon a good guy, the girls are responsible for that, too. Like, yes. it's not Nixon who yeah. makes good with Russia. It's the girls and the pot cookies. And yes. I'm going to come back to that uh, in a little bit. Abs- absolutely. You've, you've set me up, Ross. So, can I now make my case as to why I really think this is one of the best movies we've watched on this podcast so far? Go for it. Because... I think this is one of the ultimate smash the patriarchy movies, because this is a movie about two young girls who wander into what the height of the patriarchy, right? The Nixon White House is nothing but a whole bunch of white men who, in this movie and maybe in real life, are a whole bunch of idiots, but they all think they're brilliant, okay? And they all think they are better than everybody else. And by doing nothing more than just being girls, they bring the entire thing crashing down, right? That they, why do the Watergate burglars get caught? Because the girls put tape on the door so they don't get caught getting, you know, uh, sneaking back in in the middle of the night. Right. Why they're just knocking on doors and they stumble into the shredding. Right. They want to scrapbook. And so they keep important documents along the way. We even get the name Deep Throat because it's a silly inside joke about a sex act that they think (laughs) is, you know, gross and funny. And so my favorite part of this that I didn't really realize till I watched it this time is every time they get caught in any sort of dilemma and they're cornered and you're wondering how they are going to get out of this? They just scream and (laughs) run and the men have no idea how to handle it. They're like, what is this hysteria that these women are throwing at us? Like, they are all just buffoons. And so what this movie is, is it is about just being a girl and you can take down the biggest patriarchy that there is. And so... I think it's a brilliant satire of all of that, and it's, it's so funny.
1: It is it is very funny, and I think it is – I think your point is very well taken. I think it is a very kind of interesting thing that they are underestimated at every turn. Mm-hmm. And yet I would also say what's so fascinating about the movie is, right, so the reason we find out – that they have, their identities have been protected is not because, right? Because again, in 1999, we did not know who Deep Throat still was, right? Deep right, Throat yeah. doesn't get revealed, I think, for several years later.
0: Yeah, like um, the mid-2000s.
1: Yeah, that it was Mark Felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, because of how it is... The reason they do it is not to protect the identity. It's not because these girls ask for it. It's because Woodward and Bernstein are so embarrassed that the (laughs) idea that this whole thing is brought down by two teenage girls. So while it is this breaking the patriarchy idea, I also Mm. don't think it's fully a fantasy in the idea of like, and then everything was great. It's like in the end still their contributions are covered up. Right, just yeah. like as their contributions are covered up, unfortunately, through most of this, yeah, it is the idea. We can We the can't end.
0: admit. We can't admit that it's the girls who did our job for us.
1: Exactly. Um, we can't admit and, that it is. It is really this movie that does such a fascinating job again of how teenage girls operate how they you know mm-hmm. do this and they are not the sharpest people they, they admitted at one point it's like they're we're being treated like stupid teenage girls and kirsten does goes but we are stupid teenage girls yeah. and <laughs> like- I,
0: I know i know that there's complaints about it that the movie treats them as such dumb blondes and first off i don't think they're as dumb always as it seems like no it definitely that. shows that they are naive and they are learning along with it and they're figuring out these problems, right? But that's also part of... Everybody in this movie is dumb, right? Everybody in this movie is comically stupid. Yes. Um th- The men, the women... Woodward and Bernstein like they all just a lot like nobody is good at what they do in this movie which is where the satire comes in and so the movie doesn't work if they are these two brilliant honors students figuring out Watergate the movie works because it's everything falls apart on just a whole slew of accidents and happenstance
1: well it's their naivete that gets them in everywhere Mm -hmm. It's because of the fact that Richard Dixon, when he initially sees them, goes, oh, these are just two teenage Teenage girls love me. No didn't love her. (laughs) Like, like, obviously teenagers, (laughs) known fans of Richard Dixon.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: that's the kind of thing of this movie. So I think if they are, as you said, like honor students and these brilliant sharp like they're mm-hmm. not getting everywhere they're going, and they're not getting no. the access that they get. It's because they genuinely seem, which is why this movie is also so sweet, is they genuinely seem like these two girls that are just they just want you know yeah. they are adorable and they're nice and they're everything, and it just like they happen to luck themselves into these things, and then you know. Learn also as it's going on.
0: And if the movie is playing to teenagers in 1999 who don't really know the whole story of the Watergate, right, they have to kind of discover all of it along with us, right? They can't be ahead of us. You know, they have to be along with us unraveling all of this.
1: And it's a comedy. And I think the yeah. comedy allows for the fact that they are, you know, you need them to kind of be naive to get yeah. like some of the great jokes that come into this. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree.
0: I also um, think so. I, I have more theories, Ross. I have more go. more to say here. Um, and that is because I don't think this movie is talked about enough also in the context of the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I did some timeline digging. Um, They filmed this movie in the summer, I'm sorry, April to June of 98. They're filming okay. this movie, okay? yeah, A year before it comes out. The Lewinsky scandal breaks in January of 98. And it's about late summer, right after the movie is done filming. So they're probably editing and putting it together. That, like... Monica Lewinsky comes out and some of the details start falling into place, right? The blue dress and the testimony and did Clinton lie under oath? Like that all comes out. So the movie is being made in this time where A, the entire country is just punching down on Malika Lewinsky. And there are some great stories out there if you want to learn about this and the way that we treat her, right? But this whole, maybe the prime example of the patriarchy destroying a young woman, a naive young woman. And I think you can see some parallels between um, Michelle Williams in this movie, Arlene, and Monica um, in the way that, like, they are drawn into the power of this president and the way that they are able to, you know... F- Arlene falls in love with Richard Nixon in this movie, right? He becomes her new and there is definitely a sense of Monica Lewinsky was really kind of pulled into the charm of Bill Clinton through all of this. And Monica's not that much older than these girls, right? She's in her early 20s when all of this happens. She's an official intern, not a secret youth advisor, but still, you get the same idea. And there's something of a wish fulfillment, I think, in this movie. And by the time it comes out, like they're able to do what i think a lot of supporters of monica Lewinsky at the time maybe wish that she had been able to do right and that is kind of fight back and punish the person who really made her life miserable so i don't know if that context was obviously the film was written before we found out about all of this right Mm -hmm. that i don't think the film was made as a um reaction to the Lewinsky scandal, but there is definitely, I think this movie is influenced by that and plays into that, whether knowingly or not, when you see the 1999 and when you see it today.
1: I think, you know, you were asking why now kind of for this movie, right? Like how did the studio do it? I think you've just hit on why now. Mm -hmm. I think, I think this gets green light. I think this ends up being pushed like it does. And I think it, they think that they have a bigger hit than they maybe did, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this was now a thing of like, you know, we've got this kind of like, uh, the, all of this stuff happening. We maybe have like a movie that kind of deals with this. Yeah. And again, you, you also have people attached that in 1999, they sold Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams mm-hmm. and they were trying to get a, you know, a teenage boy audience with the idea of like, Oh too cute, you know.
0: Well, and I'm at staring at I'm staring at the poster, right? And it's yep. them in the American flag, halter tops and Daisy Dukes, right, that they make yeah. at the end of the movie, right? It's definitely playing up that well,
1: side of things. And of course, you know, the name of your movie is Dick. <laughs> And you have, you know, like they uh, played this up and we could yeah. have, I was going to ask you, Trip. it is also very well known on this podcast that you are a fan of the bloopers at the end of the credits. What are your feelings on a roller skating, you know, uh, to Dancing Queen?
0: It's, uh, it's fun. The whole soundtrack to this movie. Fantastic. Is- <laughs> it is so awesome obvious but it is so perfectly used like they they just kind of embrace you know what we are going to play the song at every moment that you expect us to play at this moment but they're so perfectly used that you just can't help i mean i hear you're so vain and this is the first thing i think of still oh yeah that's a great needle you know it is yes Um, absolutely i had this soundtrack on cd uh definitely uh when this movie came out and it's it's a uh, pretty perfect and yeah the roller skating is is a lot of fun around the oval office you should ask, yes
1: which right? seems like it might be their new disco club at one point yeah. um
0: i don't roller skate but i would go to that disco club
1: it does so. go into an element which i'll talk about later of this movie that i'm a little questioning of but we can talk about that later the trip the we've talked about a bunch about the extensive cast to this movie mm-hmm. is there a specific supporting turn that you want to highlight i
0: i i don't know how you isolate this because i could give this to 20 different people in this movie i Absolutely. really think everyone is at the top of their game you know and i'm tempted to go dan Hedea because i think he is that good in this movie like I would put him in awards consideration, I think, for what he's doing in this movie. Um, I think he's probably too big for this. He's really the third lead of the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go uh, with Harry Shearer, always a delightful presence, as G. Gordon Liddy, with the second biggest um mustache I've ever seen uh, in a movie, and I will get to the first one a little later on in the in the episode. But um, he just he embraces the shadiness of Liddy so perfectly. It uses Harry Shearer and that voice so well. Um, and he he goes one hundred and ten percent as the cartooniness of this character. And so um, I, I know he can't show up through the entire movie. I know that he has to disappear through the movie, although I wish they had brought him back. I mean, checkers had been dead for 10 years before this movie, you know, is set. So they're not always playing exactly with history, but uh, Harry Shearer, I think uh, is my supporting actor here. What about you, Ross? Who are you wanna hi- highlight?
1: So I, I... I will first highlight, if I'm going with the who in the White House is getting my supporting nod, It Saul Rubinick as Kissinger <laughs> is just – there's so many like, – Henry Kissinger, to put it mildly, is an immensely complicated figure in the history of American politics – Mm-hmm. The way that Saul Rubinick plays Henry Kissinger, also the only person I feel like in this movie that recognizes, like, hey, you know, hanging around with a bunch <laughs> of 15-year-old girls for all of these men is probably not a uh, great idea. No, like, no. like, there's a real troubling aspect, to this, but he's just kind of, like, constantly, like, being kind of ignored, uh, but just, like, bumbling to himself. Like, it's yes. all right, I'll just be mm-hmm. here, don't mind me. <laughs> it, it made me laugh.
0: But one he, of our more underrated actors too, Saul yes. Like he really needs to. Um, yes, I to think this get, is the.
1: Oh no, never mind. The, that was the, the much earlier in the nineties. I mean, he has a great supporting turn in *True Romance* and. Um,
0: yeah, and but, *Unforgiven*, and okay. this is right before he's going to do about a season on *Frasier*, um, and he's so funny on that show. He's but, so um,
1: he is a truly great character actor. Yeah. Um. I, I absolutely, but. For my actual supporting turn, and I would like to say, I believe this is the actress that plays it. But we'll talk about the character. I believe it is Brenda Devine who who plays the character of Mrs. Uh, Spindler. I believe that is the name of the actual character. I could not remember her, the actual name, but it is their teacher who is with them on the field the field trip, the the important field trip to the White House. And also appears again when Arlene is giving her like kind of presentation to the class, talking about how they are the dog walkers for the the White House and everything mm-hmm. like that. She is so dry, but mm-hmm. is so funny. Every line delivery that she does about how they are—every lie is another brick in the in the road to hell.
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) we will not be getting McDonald's. We will go back to the cafeteria for a cold lunch.
0: Yes, she is perfect. So funny, yeah. Um, And then that great moment where they juxtapose Arlene giving the speech to. That teacher, and she is so angry. How dare you deface the name of our president? And then Betsy is giving almost the same speech to her like hippy dippy English teacher, and he is like so supportive of like all this craziness that she has spewing out. Is just um, it's a great dichotomy, but she is really funny.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's Mm -hmm. very very fun. Uh, Trip, you you obviously very much adore this movie. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific moment you want to highlight in terms of funniest?
0: Like, I think of this movie and one of the first things I always think of is Ross set up earlier that there is... they keep bringing these cookies to the White House that are Hello Dolly's, which is her mom's special recipe of cookies. What they don't know is that whenever they put the walnuts into them, the brother has been hiding his marijuana in the walnut jar. So they're bringing pot cookies to the White House every time and everyone eats them. And so there is a scene where they give the cookie to the Premier of Russia when he is over and they all eat the cookies together. This is what causes kind of peace talks to start between the United States and Russia. The fact that they inadvertently get them all high, but it then leads to uh, the Premier of Russia start to sing very badly off key. The song, Hello, Dolly. Other characters join into that, including Saul Rubin X Kissinger and uh, Dave Foley's Haldeman. And it ends with these five guys singing Hello, Dolly. And it makes me laugh. It's so bad that they are all so bad at singing and a little bit of dancing. But it is so funny. And it's one of I can't hear that song without thinking of this <laughs> scene. So I have to call out the Hello, Dolly musical number in the middle of uh, of the White House
1: it's it is a very fun one and how they they interact with everything is is really great mm-hmm. um, So I because these categories are up uh, together, it's gonna sound like I'm walking a fine line with my funniest and unfunniest moments but okay um, I think the funniest moment to me that got me giggling and and think because I do think it's more I would say chaste in, like, Mm -hmm. what a teenage girl would imagine, like, for some reason, some, like, romantic thing. The (laughs) dream that Arlene has with Dan Hedaya, like, this romantic dream of Nixon, is so oddly, like, it's like a romance novel chastity, of like even to the point where she goes what about pat your wife don't worry she knows and understands (laughs) it's like even in her dream she has to ask for permission and it's like look there's a sand castle that we've built of the white house House.
0: and And he's riding the horse up and down the beach like it is yeah
1: just the idea of richard nixon like this is the dream you have of Richard Nixon yes. one of our most despicable presidents like it's yeah. just it's so funny and the whole plot line I could have also chosen the recordings that she does on the tapes of like mm-hmm. her singing the, to the, the missing tape 18,
0: the missing 18 and a half minutes is yeah. because she's been singing Olivia Newton-John to him yes. yeah just oh.
1: so good and, it's, and
0: and when Kirsten Dunst comes back and goes you've been talking for 18 and a half minutes like yeah. hey no one in real life says that but b anyone who knows anything about nixon is like oh now i see like it's yeah in that perfect line it's a
1: perfect line it is, it's, so line. It is it, it's just so again it's like it's so silly in the best ways it really made me giggle and again i really want to highlight how great i mean I, kirsten dunce is very good but i think mm-hmm. what they have arlene and especially michelle williams obviously mm-hmm. as arlene do she's so good She's so good in this movie.
0: Michelle Williams add her to that list of actors who we don't let do comedy very often. Like yeah. I can't think of another like flat out comedy like this that Michelle Williams has really done and she is really funny and I do really kind of I want to see her go back and do something like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I propose that we're what twenty five years later, right? So we're yeah. c- can we get the two of them back and do like a Clinton White House, um, <laughs> like movie, like sequel to this? I think that would be, would be really great.
1: Hollywood, but, the yeah. the the WGA strike is over. It looks like SAG is voting to you know approve the tentative agreement. Let's go. Let's get on this. All right. Yes,
0: there we go. <laughs> I, I mean, I I am really looking at Michelle Williams filmography right now and there is nothing similar to this at all on her no. filmography like um that she's done that we do let's let's get her back being funny again absolutely um so i'll let you contradict yourself now so yes uh, nixon on the horse is your funniest what is your least funny moment of the movie then or unfunniest
1: so i think and you you talked a bit about the marketing
0: mm-hmm. these
1: kids are supposed to be 15 years old mm-hmm Kirsten Dunst is actually 17 and probably 16 when they're filming this, right? Michelle Williams is then maybe 18, like 19 when this comes out. Mm -hmm. There is some very awkward sexuality of how they sexualize these two characters at times that is kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And they acknowledge it at points, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, as I said, the Kissinger kind of thing of like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be (laughs) like hanging around these 15 year old girls, like as Mm -hmm. these older men, but there's a scene like where kirsten dunst's plan is to like try to seduce a secret service officer i mean Mm -hmm. there's the thing which to me was like super uncomfortable at the end of the movie during that roller skating the last actual image of the movie is the two Mm -hmm. of them in those like kind of halter tops going on you know they have these like big lollipops that all say dick on them and they're all looking and you're looking at this going like this is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. It's a little bit kind of like you're trying to sell, like, a. And again, these characters are supposed to be 15. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a little bit where you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. This is where it's like, feels like this is older guys trying to be like. Borderlining on stuff yeah. where you're like, eh, this doesn't. Yeah. So
0: the lolly the lollipops did kind of bug me. Like that was kind of a step too far. Maybe
1: that I would agree. That's where it goes like a step too far.
0: Because but- I do love the way that the movie hammers the dick joke <laughs> into the ground. Oh, like, well, Every yeah. time it is that this innocent of they just keep because he says call me dick so they call him dick and it keeps getting misinterpreted and it's exactly the sort of thing that like 15 year old girls would find hysterical like every time or get embarrassed about right that i do i i love the way that they handle the title of the movie throughout but absolutely
1: but i think that's just where and it's different to me the 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 the, the attempted seduction of the of the secret service officer where she comes up like puts the chapstick on and is like trying to like kind of do this and the Mm -hmm. difference between that and the ryan reynolds thing which also is a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. I think it feels more, you know, oddly enough, the way that the Ryan Reynolds thing just seemed to be a little bit more like because they're so awkward at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of like, oh, okay, like I don't really know what to do here. By the way, Ryan Reynolds appears in this movie. We didn't even, yeah, say this. exactly.
0: And like, at least he's a college student. Like at yes. least there's that. We also need to recognize, and the movie does not do this. That like in real life, this movie takes place over a two-year span. Yes, right, and it makes it seem like it's I don't know four weeks, but yes. like theoretically, it starts in seventy-two and it ends in seventy-four, right? So yes, it's, you know, I think it's twenty-six months from the break-in to the resignation, and so like theoretically, by the time they get to the Ryan Reynolds stuff, they're 17, 17 right yeah. there are maybe closer i don't know if the movie does a good job of explaining that to no. us or <laughs> if this is in the pseudo history world of the movie it just all takes place in like it takes months. place in
1: yeah in like yes, a couple but, months is what it seems
0: like but so yeah, yeah that's exactly.
1: that's a failure of the movie but mm-hmm. to me again and it's a small part it's just yeah. that's where it gets a little kind of like I, uh,
0: I do give the movie credit though that like that never works They're never actually... Except for the Ryan Reynolds stuff, where they do kind of make out, right? But like, the security guard does not fall for that, right? No. The way they get through to the security guard is that they give him the pot cookies, and that's what gets them Oh, no.
1: I think eventually... Henry Kissinger comes down oh. and goes, Oh, I recognize them. I know them
0: yes. again. Yes. And again, immediately. Goes, they, but, yeah. <laughs> but because they have to sneak, because they have to sneak in on the tour. Right. Yes. But then they, they get in the security guards, good graces. Cause you see the security guards later on and they're like, do you have the cookies? And so, you yes. know, it's mistakenly getting them high that gets Absolutely. them in the good graces, not the chapstick and yes. any sort of seduction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Y- you've talked a lot about Saul Rubinek as Kissinger. I think he's wonderful. I think if there's one thing in this movie that kind of bugs me a little bit um, is that, somehow Henry Kissinger comes off as the one good guy in this White House. Like, and I don't want to get political. Um, we can all talk about where Henry Kissinger's place in history is, but I, I think we could all agree that he is not the moral compass of the Nixon White House no. in the way that <laughs> this movie makes him out to be. And yes. so um again, the movie lies a lot, but I do Watching it again with 2023 eyes, um, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if Henry Kissinger should really be the uh, the, the the center of all of this." So,
1: yeah, um, absolutely. It's a uh, yeah. Again, as I said, he's a let's go with complicated, complicated figure in American history, and it, some of it is is he.
0: And these these are all complicated figures. Right? Absolutely, every member of the Nixon White House is a very complicated figure, and I understand this is a flat-out comedy. It is a satire. They are you know, taking all of these complicated figures and making them kind of into one-dimensional comedic stocks. But, Absolutely. Um, I just don't know if Henry Kissinger's comedic stock of being, you know, the one person to- Who
1: recognizes the problem of he having said, He says girls. at one point,
0: am I the only one thinking in this administration or something like that? Like <laughs> oh, I think he mentions, as...
1: am I the only one who's not seeing <laughs> that this might not be constitutional or something like that? <laughs> like, something like that. Yes, about like, exactly. the 15-year-old like, yeah. girls being around. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because Henry Kissinger, we know, cared so much about the Constitution. Yes,
1: yes, 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 of yes. course. Okay. Um, so, Trip, our listeners have heard a lot about what we think of this movie, but now it's time for uh, our favorite uh, game in which you try to guess the Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd scores for these movies. So, Trip, 1999, what do you think critics, the average score on Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think that average score is for this movie?
0: I, I would like to think that it was positive. Um, I'm going to say it's like 70%.
1: All right. People shout out your answers or pause the podcast in order to do that. Um, trip, you are very close. It oh, is good. a seventy-two percent. Okay. Tomatoes. Phew. Yes. Um, I it, seem
0: to remember positive buzz around this movie when it came
1: out. Absolutely. So, I don't I mean, think
0: anyone is as positive as I am about this movie, but I seem to remember that there being some positive.
1: Uh, I would actually say you may not be fully correct on that because Ooh. Lisa Schwartzbaum of Entertainment Weekly gave it an A, supposedly. Okay. And as part of it, she said, indeed, under the sure, unforced direction of Andrew Fleming, Dick combines the comic resources of Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall alumni with far greater success than usually results from such alchemy. So, you know, again, talking about that kind of what we talked about, the really strong supporting cast, uh, really helping that and mixing that together. And then I included this one because I feel like you would immensely appreciate it based off of last week's conversation. Stephanie uh, Zakharik, writing for Salon.com at the time, wrote, Unlike Drop Dead Gorgeous director Michael Patrick Jan, Fleming never bounces jokes off his characters like spitballs or asks us to laugh at their lack of sophistication. Betsy and Arlene's breathless enthusiasm and their surprise at the way a seemingly nice guy like Dick could be so evil are never used to distance us from them.
0: Exactly. Yes, there we go. That is so true.
1: As um, I, a, I that. saw that and was like, this is this one.
0: <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: Trip, what, you know, the fine, fine users of Letterboxd, what do you think the average score is from them on this uh,
0: movie? Um, I mean, I think it, I would like to think that it's also positive. Um, it sounds like if both you and I are on some way positive about this, Um, I'm going to say it's like a 3.7, let's say.
1: Uh, you're a little high. Uh, it is three point four. Okay. So still not terrible,
0: but no, but um, should be, should be higher.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a movie though that I think it's it, you know as we said, this mm-hmm. did not do well at the box office. It was a movie that had a budget of, according to Wikipedia, thirteen million dollars. So not a very expensive okay. movie, but it only made six point three, and yeah, so. I,
0: it's baffling to me. Like,
1: yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing that it doesn't it doesn't do as well. Um, it came out the weekend of August sixth, and maybe this is what didn't help it. Here mm-hmm. are the other movies that come out the same weekend as this. We okay. have a small movie um, that obviously didn't go very far uh, by a guy named M. Night Shyamalan called The Sixth Sense. Okay. Um, we have but- the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair
0: yeah but i also feel like the sixth sense was a movie i don't know did it open at number one that week it, it did it okay made 26 because i remember dollars. that movie like building through week. yes like it became no one was expecting it to be big and it definitely built through oh
1: absolutely but this yeah, this that, became yeah. it was the number one at the box office that weekend yeah so it sucked thomas, all the air out of that month yeah and the thomas crown affair comes out this month mm-hmm. that's uh that this weekend i should say that's it for you know a big splashy remake Mm -hmm. of a of a classic steve mcqueen movie uh future episode of this podcast mystery men comes out this weekend at 6th and beloved animated movie that also notoriously did not do well at the box office the iron giant oh yeah yeah
0: the probably even a better movie than dick but um yeah also about really bombed and really um also about the past and yes yeah kind Of un- unraveling our mistakes as America, so yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, any of these movies, by the way, at this time, are you going to go see in a theater?
0: Um, I know it was a couple weeks before I saw uh, The Sixth Sense because I definitely had that movie spoiled for me before I ever actually saw it. So, um, that uh, Thomas Crown Affair and Iron Giant, I both caught later at home when they came out. So,
1: and we'll um, save your but, thoughts on Mystery but Men. But overall, for a couple weeks from I,
0: now. I've sure. never seen Mystery Men, so we'll see that, but overall, like. This is a pretty good weekend at the box office. Like, I think those are for even the Thomas Crown Affair, not a great movie, but a really serviceable kind of thriller, and some great stuff in that. that,
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Runaway Bride still at number three at the box office that weekend, and America Mm -hmm. Pie at ten.
0: Okay, all the still,
1: you know, past episodes for this box. Definitely
0: saw Dick this weekend. That
1: um, Uh, makes sense. So, trip. And
0: I sound like I'm in the movie right now, right? Like that. (laughs) That maybe did not sound like the uh, most appropriate sentence. Only on this show could I say that sentence.
1: Yeah, there we go, and it's fine. It's totally okay. We can we we avoid any sort of explicit tags. It's the name of the movie. What do you want from us? Um. So, Trip, you obviously really enjoyed this movie what is a movie or let's say miniseries or show that you would well now you're gonna spoil
0: right that i'm i'm moving into because well, normally
1: i say but... movie so i can't yes, really but... say movie because i know what you're saying
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no so i'm gonna go just last year or this year i guess earlier this year i think hbo put out the miniseries the white house plumbers a equally satirical look I think at uh, G. Gordon Liddy and uh, the people who were the White House plumbers also pokes a lot of fun at them I mentioned earlier that Harry Shearer as G Gwin and Liddy has the second biggest mustache I've ever seen because Justin Thoreau plays Jigwin and Liddy in this and has an even bigger one. Like, I don't know how it stays on his face, but um, it's another really funny, maybe not quite as goofy, but still definitely satiric look at this period of time with some really great... Uh, performances. And I think it kind of went under the radar a little bit this summer when it came out. And I uh, I suggest checking out, uh, I guess there's no the, so it's just White House Plumbers.
1: Uh, so funnily enough, I have never watched the full miniseries, but a friend of the show, uh, Quizmaster Thomas Todd and I did somehow end up at the 92nd street Y here in New York city at the premiere for the first episode oh. uh and saw the first episode on a big screen with uh, Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux and all these people there um I very much enjoyed the first episode I was one that I needed to uh to catch up with
0: Yes, uh, uh, and really. uh, uh, Damon Hall Gleason plays John Dean in that. yes, and uh, also very, very funny. And again, Woody Harrelson plays E. Howard Hunt, who uh, uh, the movie Dick cuts out. But yeah,
1: oh yeah, there's a lot of really great people in that um, mm-hmm. in that mini series that was done. You can find it on Max, I believe, is where, yes. where it now lives. Uh, for now, until they delete it from you know existence for whatever reason. Um, I went also the political comedy route. Not Watergate-related, though. Um, I went with a movie that would normally be possibly covered on this podcast, but much of the dismay, I think, of both of us only Mm -hmm. came out in less than 100 theaters when it came out in America. And that is the great uh, film by Armando Iannucci based on his British television show. It's called In the Loop. Mm -hmm. Armando Iannucci, if you do not know, is also the creator of the show Veep, which Mm -hmm. I would say has a very similar, at times, feel to this movie of how it views politics and politicians (laughs) as all being uh, Mm -hmm. incompetent and just essentially just trying to get by and cover up the mistakes that you're constantly making. Um, In the Loop is more about the start of the Iraq War and the British and American intelligence agencies. It has uh, James Gandolfini in a fantastic role um, and, of course, Peter Capaldi as one of the most foul-mouthed um British like politicians you will yeah. ever see. It, mm. it is funny, it is sharp. Um, if you did like the show Veep and you haven't seen in the loop, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah. really good in film.
0: if if you were offended by the dick jokes in this movie, though, do not watch in the loop. <laughs> no because no. it goes much further. We cannot so,
1: quote Peter Cabaldi. In this, here's this movie. <laughs>
0: here's my here's my question I'll put out there. Betsy and Arlene more competent than selena meyer
1: Ooh, you know the the answer the answer's probably not but like it's a question just because selena meyer does do so many mistakes i think the difference is selena should know better and arlene and betsy you know, don't. the idea is that they're 15 year olds, mm-hmm. they they kind of yes. are, you know, going around. I bit. think they,
0: they learn and grow a lot more than Selena Meyer every time.
1: Yes. So, uh, and their mistakes are a little bit smaller scale than uh, mm-hmm. Selena Meyer's. Uh, yep. Absolutely. So, Trip, you're staring at those gray stars on Letterboxd, you're turning them green. What is your final rating
0: for this Ooh, movie? Ross, it. Um, I love this movie so much and watching it again and getting to think about it and talk about it. I love it even more. Ross is flashing five. five. I'm waiting, for, I'm
1: waiting for one I, movie on this to get this. And I'm like, I think this might get it. I think this, I think this might
0: be it, Ross. I think I'm going five stars on, on Dick. I think this is just about to be as perfect of a comedy as you can get. So, yep. Yeah.
1: I love this and I'm rooting for it because I wanted one of these to get a tripper in <laughs> five stars. So I enjoy this movie for some reason, even on the second watch while I liked it more, it's just not at like the farthest. I don't know what it is. I, I can't even as much as great stuff as I talked about. It, and I mm-hmm. wonder if as more I watch it, it grows at the moment. I have it at three and a half. Um, I, I would very much recommend this movie. I just Mm. wonder, there's certain parts, especially at the end... feels kind of rushed, it feels kind of like, it kind of drags, and I'd actually argue, and we didn't really talk about the Woodward and Bernstein of it all, mm-hmm. there's kind of, it drags a bit with that, <laughs> like it's like, oh. alright, like but Will Ferrell
0: uh, and Bruce McCullough are so funny in there. The,
1: the and, interplay between the two of them is kind the, of, <laughs> like, the
0: way that they play up their rivalry is so funny. That,
1: Carl yes. Bernstein really getting the shaft in this movie <laughs> Like oh, as, We also like, talked about
0: the wigs in this movie much like the wood a couple weeks ago, man, those wigs do so So much wonderful work through all of this. Dave Um, Foley's buzz cut, like, yeah, just all of it is.
1: But yeah, so I again, I I am giving it three and a half stars, but it it, it is an idea that I'm like, no, I would recommend this movie to people, and I think it is Mm -hmm. a very funny and enjoyable
0: film. Yeah. Now I'm starting to feel really bad about rating this higher than Notting Hill. I don't know. These star ratings you know, are all ridiculous. You know what everybody. the answer
1: is? Notting Hill should also be five stars. So it really, probably, the answer is this it is on probably you.
0: should have been. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still think maybe Notting Hill is the best movie we've talked about so far.
1: Ooh, it's a, it's definitely in contention. And yeah. just a tease, mm. we we are planning that possibly at the end of the season we will do a recap of 1999. So yeah. you know that's that's a tease. Maybe you know there look, we, go. we still maybe we got yeah some we'll be to
0: anoint our best movies. So yeah, exactly. I don't know. We got mystery men out there, Ross, so you never know what might happen.
1: That's true. That's true. It's possible. I you know, I'm not gonna spoil my thoughts on mystery <laughs> men just yet. Um, uh
0: in in the meantime, Ross, uh, I don't think Mystery Men is next week. What is no, next week?
1: No, it is not, Trip. Uh next week, uh, we're gonna talk about a movie uh that our audience may have actually heard us talk about already on Ooh. another podcast. Uh, because we will be talking about Bowfinger. Bowfinger uh, is available to rent on Amazon, Apple TV, or YouTube or you can go to your local library and see if they have a copy of it because we support mm-hmm. physical media and local libraries. Yeah. Trip um, this is a little bit weirder because obviously uh, by the time this episode comes out we we our episode of the Director's Club podcast may have come out, so you yes. have seen Bowfinger. <laughs> yes, I, have. We're not gonna I, I I saw this.
0: I saw Bowfinger in the movie theaters also. This is two weeks in a row where we are stumbling on movies that Trip saw in the movie theater and thought were masterpieces or near masterpieces and walked around and felt like nobody in the world agreed with me on them. So um, I have seen Bowfinger. I love Bowfinger. Uh, It was a TV staple and I watched it every time I could on TV. So um, I I know this movie really well. It's Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy um, making a shoestring budget of a movie. It is a Hollywood satire. Eddie Murphy plays two characters, uh, you get Christine Baranski in there and Robert Downey Jr. Um, it's just—it's a wonderful cast. I'm really excited to to talk about this movie, Ross, because um, I do—I really love this movie. So we get two weeks in a row of trip positivity here
1: absolutely and so you know and again this is i guess we're also at this part of the show but uh listen to our appearance on the directors club podcast where we talk about bowfinger's director the great frank oz
0: yes we're be- and talking about kind of all of his movies so yes. bowfinger included in there so it's a great yes. discussion that we have so absolutely yeah awesome um, in the meantime um <laughs> In the meantime, all of my dickheads out there can uh, <laughs> find me at Trip Burton thirteen on whatever social media you want, or on Letterboxd, I am at Trip Burton.
1: I know that's going to get cut out, so I want our audience to realize the the immense amount of buildup that it took Trip to do that, and I appreciate it. I oh, think boy. it's great. I, um, yeah, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter slash X. Actually, Letterboxd. Uh, threads blue sky uh, at our Bratton and where can they uh, reach out to the show if they want to on uh, the uh, socials or you,
0: y- you can find us um, on uh, all sorts of social media platforms at ATTC pod. Uh, you can also email us at a trip through comedy at gmail.com. That's trip with two P's.
1: Our theme music is So Alive, Instrumental by John Worthy Music. You can find his work wherever you listen to music or at the free music archive. And as always, we will see you farther along down the road.
0: And after our tour, we're having lunch at McDonald's.